Welcome to another episode of Who Says No. I am one of your hosts, Sam Quinn. Colin Ward-Henninger is out today because the Lakers are on a losing streak, and he doesn't want to be around me when that's the case because I get pretty grouchy. So I think we found the perfect guest to balance out that grouchiness. He writes for Silver Screen and Roll. He is also probably the nicest person on Lakers Twitter, Christian Rivas. Christian, how are you doing? Oh, God. I wouldn't go that far. I would I would definitely say I'm not the type at least in my adult life, uh, who God knows what I've tweeted before I entered media or really had an understanding of <laughs> basketball in the, in the way it worked. But yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely not going to be one of those people that is in a- anybody's mentions talking about how, you know, they're clowns for underrate- underrating the Lakers or uh, anything like that. So I, the bar is on the floor is what I'm saying. <laughs> my mentions are a constant dumpster fire. And I think, I've kind of become like a man without a home in LA because I was originally, I'm I'm a Laker. I cover the Lakers mostly every now and then I'll tweet something nice about the Clippers and the Lakers people will just be furious with me. I said during the off season that the Clippers were like relatively close to the Lakers and that just people teed off on that. But now Clippers Twitter hates me too, because I said Kawhi is not the MVP. Like, I don't know what to do about LA, man. This is it is a ferocious city. You manage it a lot better than I do. Like generally, I am kind of amazed at just the general positivity of your Twitter a lot of the time. But yeah. I digress. This is not going to be a super positive episode given where the Lakers are. At least from my perspective, I'm hoping you can make me feel a little bit better. The Lakers have lost four in a row. Now Anthony Davis has been out for those games. Dennis Schroeder has been out for those games. The losses in and of themselves are not super concerning. It's A, how they're coming, and B, the issues that existed beforehand, primarily on offense. So before we get too specific, Christian, on a scale from 9 to 10, how concerned are you about the offense? The offense, I I mean, I think LeBron and AD will be enough when the postseason rolls around. I mean, you look at the supporting cast they had last year, and... You know, you think to yourself, I, I think the overwhelming uh, narrative, for lack of a better word, I really don't like using that word, but um, it fits was sometimes. that like it's a yeah. word. It's like the word literally where we're not allowed to say it anymore because it's somehow always wrong. There is an intended purpose for that word. Right. <laughs> but I, I think the general narrative going into the postseason last season was who's going to score when LeBron James and AD get cold. And it's like. When are LeBron James and AD going to get cold? They don't. And I will say the one thing that makes me feel generally a little better about this, there are two lineups that are scoring at, you know, something resembling elite numbers. The starting lineup scores 117.3 points per 100 possessions. That's elite. That's up there with, that's slightly below the Nets and the Clippers and the Jazz. But, like, that's elite. When Anthony Davis goes to center, they're scoring 121.9 points per 100 possessions. So, I get it. Like, I understand the line of thinking that as long as they go into the playoffs with a healthy LeBron and a healthy AD, those guys are going to go off again and it's going to be fine. Here is where my concern really comes from. Overall, if you look at the offensive numbers, they're basically in the same place they were last year, right? Before the bubble, they were scoring 112.6 points per hundred possession last year. This year, before Schroeder and AD went down, it was 112.2. Like, Go through every different stat. The half-court number is basically the same. The three-point number is very, very similar. The issue is they're going down in the rankings for each one, right? 
Last year, going to the bubble, they were ranked fourth in offense. This year, they're 17th. Go from 17th in half court last year to 20th this year. You just you go down the list, and the Lakers are looking worse relative to their competition. And that scares me because the teams they played last year, yes, Houston took a bunch of threes, but they never made any. And Frank Vogel keyed in on that quickly and just said, oh, we're not going to guard Russell Westbrook. Denver was not a very good shooting team. Miami was a very good shooting team, but then they lost Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo, and it changed everything. I'm looking at who the competition is going to be this year, and all of them are elite shooting teams. Clippers, first in three-point percentage, 18th in volume. Nets, second in three-point percentage, eighth in volume. Jazz, third. Third in three-point percentage, first in volume. Like You just go down the list of what a good team generally looks like in 2021, and it doesn't really look like the Lakers in their current iteration. I don't know if that means the Lakers are the outlier and everybody else is wrong about how they're playing, or if it means that the Lakers are getting you know left behind in this revolution. That's where my fear comes from, and we've seen the Lakers play the Clippers, the Nets, and the Jazz. They lost all three. I wouldn't read too much into those losses, especially given the personnel involved, but the fact that they're getting outshot in all these games, it definitely concerns me. Yeah, so I think that Nets matchup, if, if you look at the, all of those teams you mentioned and really all of the contenders, I think the Nets, is as, as far as the Lakers' ability to score on them, is the one I'm least worried about because, I mean, there were a few possessions in that game where I think LeBron turned his jets on and, and just got past Jeff Green every time he was yep. in front of him. He switch hunted Joe Harris a few times in such a way, like he did it two or three times in the first quarter, and then he kind of stopped doing it in such a way that made you think, oh, he's figured it out. He's just saying yeah, it. Stop. For sure. And I, I think we'll see a lot more of that. Um, and it might have been, no, it, it was the Miami game where obviously the Lakers played the Miami Heat six games in the NBA, final, NBA Finals wasn't that long ago. Frank Vogel wasn't defending the Heat the same way he did in the finals. Like, it seemed like they were just going through their regular season motions and weren't hyper-focused on defending the Miami Heat. I think they were more focused on running their defensive sets and getting their personnel acclimated, which, you know, given the amount of players they brought in in the offseason, maybe isn't the worst idea, and... You you don't want to give the opposing coach film on how you're going to defend their team. Um, so I, I do think in terms of rotations and, you know, defensive schemes, especially when it comes to zone defense, we'll see stuff from the Lakers that we haven't seen so far this season, I think. Um, here are the two concerns for me. Number one, with the personnel that they have, can they do a lot of the same things that they did last season? I, I understand that even with all the, the signings they made in the offseason, I think their closing lineup is going to look pretty similar to the way it did last season. I so agree. That, I, I, I think defensively, Wesley Matthews is worse than, than Danny Green is. I think that is is you know a big factor that I think a lot of people haven't taken into account, and I certainly didn't take into account. When they signed Wesley Matthews, um, and then obviously you look at the center position, Marcus All is not going to be doing anything that Javale McGee and Dwight Howard did. They're just Correct. different players. My second concern, and this is 
specific to the Nets is I know the Lakers are going to score on the Nets. I am not worried about that per se. I am worried that the Nets are going to score more than the Lakers. I don't know. When you have three superstars, your job isn't to hold them under, you know, 25, 30 points because they're superstars for a reason. A lot of people have tried to hold them under those numbers. They're not going to. They're superstars. They're going to get their numbers. The most concerning thing about that Brooklyn game, which I understand AD wasn't playing, KD wasn't playing, was the fact that you had somebody like Timothy Luau Cabarro go off. And if you're the Lakers, you you just cannot have that. And uh, that that shooting and the way they've de- defended the perimeter is probably what I'm most concerned about in, in those matchups. Well, there weren't really the Timothy Luau Cabarro explosions in the last playoffs. Like, what generally happened in the last postseason was they would lose game one or they would you know, lose an early game in the series or, you know, like go through their general early series lethargy. And then Frank Vogel would figure out and then the entire defense would be on a string and there wouldn't really be open shots. I can't say that I'm necessarily too worried. Now, Joe Harris scares me to death, but I'm not going to go into the finals and think, oh, my God, Timothy Luau Cabrera is going to hit 21 threes in the series and that's going to sink us. My real worry for a net series is you have to win the LeBron AD minutes by like 10, 11, 12 points because that dip that the Lakers have when LeBron goes to the bench, Brooklyn isn't going to have it. When Harden goes to the bench, it's just going to be, okay, cool, Kyrie's turn. When Kyrie goes goes to the bench, okay, we're just going to run four or five straight ISOs for KD. Like there isn't going to be a dip for them. Now, the reason I'm, I don't want to say confident, I think we're too early to be throwing words like that around is, The reason that I feel generally pretty good about their offense against Brooklyn specifically is I have no idea how Brooklyn would try to defend the LeBron AD pick and roll. And every answer I come up with is bad for them. Like the best solution I'm thinking in my head is, okay, you're defending it with Durant and Jeff Green and you're switching it. Well, that's going to be a disaster. Are you going to put DeAndre Jordan in and are you going to drop? Well, that's going to be a disaster because Davis is just going to shoot you to death. I don't see a solution on Brooklyn's roster for that, but I go in thinking three is bigger than two. And if they play Jeff Green at center, they're going to take a lot of threes and they're going to make a lot more threes than the Lakers. And when the Lakers run the LeBron AD pick and roll, if you stay at home on shooters, most of the time that's going to be two points. Now, I don't want to seem like I'm complaining about the Lakers getting two points whenever they want them, but the math game has been concerning. I do want to go back to the closing lineup, though. Because I honestly feel like we only know three of the names. I feel obviously very comfortable saying LeBron is going to be in it. Anthony Davis is going to be in it. And the third player that has very clearly earned that spot now is Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma has so clearly been the third best player on the Lakers on both sides of the ball. Like, I'm still flabbergasted when I see people say that Kyle Kuzma isn't a good defender. Okay, maybe he's not. Maybe he's a great defender. He's the best offensive rebounding wing in the NBA this season. He does mm-hmm. all the little things. He's like a 6'9 Alex Caruso. Like, that's what he's growing into, but he can also score 18 points in a game. He is going to be closing games in the playoffs. I feel relatively confident in that. If you had to guess right now, who is taking the other two slots in the closing lineup? Uh, I, I think it'll probably be Alex Caruso and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. 
Um, that would be my guess as well. If Wesley Matthews was shooting the ball better and just looked more mobile on the defensive end, uh, I think I'd give him the edge there. Dennis Schroeder has played really well, but I'd have to look at the on-off numbers. But to me, it just seems like the the times he looks most like the player the Lakers traded for is when LeBron James is off of the floor. Uh, so I don't I don't know if he'll be in the closing lineup. Maybe if they you know if they don't get an extension worked out with him before the season ends, they live with whatever how many points they lose with with him on the floor just to risk to to avoid the risk of losing him in free agency because he didn't close games in the playoffs i don't know that is uh, not my job i'm not rob palinka unfortunately um so yeah i i think caruso and kcp is probably the direction they go in i agree with that i think one of the biggest issues with having schroeder close games is that it makes it much harder to switch because if Schroeder is on the floor, Kevin Durant is going to hunt for him. And like I know that Houston had a lot of success with smaller defenders on Durant in isolation. Schroeder is not Chris Paul. He's not going to bug Kevin Durant in all the same ways that he did. I would rather have Caruso out right now just from the perspective of considering Brooklyn's shooting. I'm not saying the Lakers are a switch-everything team, but I like having off-ball switching kind of on the menu, I guess, in such a way that it can help you neutralize Brooklyn shooting. And I hate to say force them into ISO ball because they're the best ISO ball team in NBA history, but that's the closest you can get with an offense that good, right? Like that's what Houston did to Golden State, who is the only analog to this insane Brooklyn team right now. If you can force Kevin Durant to take a bunch of mid-range jumpers, that's a better outcome than Joe Harris taking a bunch of threes and making 50% of them or James Harden getting to the line 12 times in a game. I yeah, don't I, feel oh, yeah. go ahead. Oh no no no, I was just going to say and I I think you know that that is ultimately what that series is going to come down to is the Lakers defense cuz of of all the questions yeah people have about the Nets defense I think we're slowly starting to see that it it not that it doesn't matter but it hasn't mattered really so far uh and and this is without Kevin Durant playing in in some of the big games they've played, in, including that game against the Lakers. Again, AD was out, I understand. Uh, but this this Pacific Divi- Division road trip they were just on, for them to look as good as they did without KD and, and score as easily as they did, um, I think if, if you're one of the people, and I am included in this crowd, that when they traded for James Harden and, uh, you know, ridded themselves of a productive center in, in Jared Allen, you say, okay, well, who is this team going to defend? Right now, it's not who is this team going to defend, it's who's going to defend this team. Your number, you're absolutely correct. I want to play devil's advocate a little bit on their defense. I think their defense is a little bit better on a regular season basis when you're not used to the switching. And if you look at the teams they were playing, it makes sense to switch as much as they do against Golden State because they have Stephen Curry. It makes sense to switch as much as they do as they do against the Clippers, because all the Clippers do is shoot threes. If you switch that much against the Lakers, Anthony Davis is going to score 40 points a game. LeBron is going to hunt whatever matchup that he wants. Right. Now, yeah. the Lakers have other offensive issues to contend with. I am still somewhat skeptical on Brooklyn's defense. That is the best offense I've ever seen. When they have all three guys humming, 
And it's not just the stars, because I think Golden State's combination of stars was frankly a little better. It's the aggregate shooting of like, oh, here's Landry Shamit, by the way. Here's Timothy Luau Cabarro, and he's going to make his five threes in this game. That's what I think so many teams are struggling with more than anything. If there was an Andre Iguodala or a Sean Livingston or like a, set, a normal center besides DeAndre Jordan, who spaces the floor vertically, so that's a little different element. But if there was somebody on that Brooklyn team that you could ignore, I think that offense might be, I, I don't want to use the word vulnerable, but like not as utterly insane as it is with the shooting that they have and with Jeff Green making 40% of his threes, which I am skeptical is going to continue. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. If he's doing that, I don't know how you stop this team. And that might just be a situation where the Lakers play them and they play perfect championship quality defense like they did in the playoffs last year. And they still end up losing like 117 to 111 because mm-hmm. perfect defense against the Nets is still 117 points. But I want to go a little bit back to the Lakers and I want to go back to the center position a little bit. Obviously, there was a lot of consternation about the decision to swap out JaVale and Dwight for Montrezl Harrell and Marcus Gasol. I was one of the many people who thought that was an upgrade. I think you were too. I am a little concerned about the resource management of the situation because I look at the holes that the Lakers have in terms of shooting and to some extent ball handling. Like you mentioned it with Schroeder and how he's so much more comfortable with LeBron off of the floor for all of Rajon Rondo's faults. And there were a lot of them. Right. Rajon Rondo was totally comfortable playing Robin to LeBron's Batman. He was totally comfortable saying, I will fill in gaps elsewhere. I'll be a secondary ball handler. I'll be the guy on the weak side who, when LeBron swings it around, now I'm going to be the guy who does something. Schroeder hasn't quite gotten there yet. So I look at spending the mid-level exception of Montrez Harrell when you could have had Dwight back for the minimum. And I don't feel great about it in hindsight. And that's nothing against Montrez Harrell because Montrez Harrell has been everything the Lakers could have asked for and more. Like mm. I can't stress this enough. I think there are a lot of people who think that Montrez Harrell is playing worse this year than he was last year because the counting stats are worse. No, he's significantly better. He is doing so many more things. His baseline jumper is now as basically as reliable as a Giannis dump. Like, he just doesn't really miss it. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Montrez Harrell hasn't lived up to expectations, but that signing was fundamentally about the regular season, right? Like, you get Montrez Harrell because on those nights where just LeBron doesn't have it and Davis doesn't have it and Schroeder doesn't have it, you go to your bench lineup and Harrell gets two straight huge putbacks and it energizes everybody. And that turns a loss into a win. Just Mm -hmm. it changes the entire energy of the game. There have been a few games where he's done that. We are going to get to some of my fake trades. I think Harrell is the likeliest quote unquote core piece to be moved. If they were to go that route, I'm not saying I think they will. Frankly, I think they won't. But the other elephant in the room here is that Montrezl Harrell probably isn't coming back next year yeah. because they can only offer him 120% raise on his contract. Somebody's going to pay him a lot more than that. Like, I think there's a non-zero chance that we go into free agency next year and Montrezl Harrell gets like four years, 80 million. Like Charlotte just looks at him and says, he is the perfect offensive center for LaMelo Ball or something like that. I think there's a good chance that he's gone next year. And I hate to say that he's the odd man out, but I'm curious about what you think his playoff role is because you're not going to change the starting lineup. That's five-some. The Gasol, KCP, Schroeder, LeBron, AD five-some has been too good. 
And then Davis has to play however many of his minutes at center. What happens to Montrezl Harrell when we get to the playoffs? Uh, yeah, and and that is the multi-million dollar question when it comes to Montrezl Harrell because uh, I, I I don't know if, I don't know if you want to wait to have this conversation to, to when we get to fake trades because I have a trade I'd like to propose to you about this very same subject about Montrezl Harrell wanna, in the playoffs. We can skip around. Go ahead, make your offer. All right. So the Lakers showed interest in PJ Tucker. And I think PJ Tucker is would be a perfect fit for this team. I think if you, uh, well, I was going to say if you give him the Marquise Morris role, but I think I was that was what I was going to bring up. Yeah, he's like think, the better, he's the perfect version of what Marquise was in last year's playoffs. Correct. And while I don't think, especially not this season, because I PJ Tucker hasn't been very good this season. I, I don't think a straight Montrez Harrell for P.J. Tucker's swap makes sense on its own. Uh, it certainly doesn't make sense when it comes to salaries. At least I don't believe it does. Um, but Harrell makes a bit more, but it's feasible. It's I, I believe that would be a legal trade. If not, maybe Houston has to put in one other guy, but it's it's doable. And And so here's my thing. I think Montrezl Harrell's a better player than P.J. Tucker straight up. I think he's a more talented player. Obviously, the counting stats smile on him favorably. And uh, I think next season, when I believe they're both going to be free agents, um, Montrezl Harrell's obviously going to get more money than P.J. Tucker. That being said, I think if you're the Lakers and you had to choose a player to play alongside Anthony Davis in the postseason... It is P.J. Tucker every time, without question. I would 100% agree with that. My one dispute here is that Markeith Morris did do this in the playoffs last year. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to give up on Markeith in that role? I would not blame you if you are, by the way, because there are nights where he just looks like he's 60 years old and can't get up and down the court. Yeah, so my thing with Markeith is kind of the same thing I felt with Kuzma last year I think just hearing Markeith talk in in post game about how much he struggled with his role this season um, you know he was talking about how this is the first time really in his career that he's had a coach tell him you're not going to be part of the rotation and I think for Markeith a, a lot of his production is tied to minutes and and feeling like a team has confidence in him i mean there's a reason he looked as good as he did in uh god where was it detroit um i i think him having the ball in his hands and shooting as much as he did in detroit and to a much lesser extent in the postseason knowing that he felt like the lakers could rely on him did i think a lot for his confidence they obviously don't need him in that way this year with the emergence of Kyle Kuzma and Montrezl Harrell soaking up so many minutes at that center position. So uh, I, it's not that I'm ready to give up on Kyle uh, on Marquise Morris. I just think like, for example, if Portland came knocking on their door saying, Hey, we need a little help in the front court and we haven't been using 
you know, Harry Giles as much as we thought we would. Here's a straight swap for these two veterans minimum contracts. If I'm the Lakers, I do that. I think that's totally reasonable. My question with PJ Tucker, the shooting, you can stick him in the corner and historically he's going to make an acceptable percentage of his threes, often a very high one. I feel like the trade chip of Harrell, you, if you're going to give that up, you'd probably want somebody a bit more reliable and somebody who can move around the floor a bit better and kind of not just be stuck in the corners. Here's my Montrez Harrell fake trade. What about Norm Powell? I don't know that the Raptors would do this, and I think there's a good chance that they wouldn't because the Raptors want their centers to A, play defense, and B, shoot. Harrell doesn't really do either of those things, but when you look at the alternatives on their roster, it's not necessarily... He's significantly better than what they have. I think he'd be a real boost to their offense just across the board. I think... I can't remember who it was who was talking about this on Twitter, but he made a great point that Harrell was better in the pick and roll last year because Lou Williams is a better pull-up shooter than mm-hmm. at least regular season LeBron is and Schroeder is. If you put Harrell with Fred Van Vliet and you let him finish those pick and rolls, I think that would be an awesome fit. Maybe you have to give up picks. My other concern with this sort of deal is that Norm Powell has been an awesome shooter since last year. I don't know how sustainable that is. Right, like he's shooting 49.3% on wide open threes this year, 51.1% last year. Go back two years before that, 28.9%. So I don't know quite how reliable he is. But my view on trading Harrell is I feel good enough about the defense that if you're going to do it, the way to do it is to trade him for shooting. Yeah, I I tend to agree. And I I think the case for keeping Harrell is, you know, sort of what we've seen in these games without AD is when LeBron James isn't on the floor and you need somebody to get you a basket or really just energize the team in in some form, Harrell is that guy. And, you know, those guys aren't easy to acquire in a trade, Um, especially not guys that can create their own offense like he can out of the pick and roll. So, I, I don't think they will trade him. I think there are lots of reasons to trade him. Like his the him being questionable in the postseason is obviously, I think, number one. But yeah, you cannot ignore the fact that it is, I think, beyond likely that he is gone next season and or next offseason. And if, if you're the Lakers, knowing where you're going to be with the hard cap and knowing that Alex Caruso and Taylor Horton Tucker and Dennis Schroeder are, are all due big money. You try and get somebody who is under contract or, or at least you have full bird rights for if you're trading Montrez Harrell. I hate to say this, but it kind of feels like the Lakers have already gotten exactly what they wanted out of Montrez Harrell. Like if the idea of signing him was to help get through the regular season grind, Mm -hmm. I think you could argue that he's already done his part in that regard. And if you're making this trade on March 25th, by then Anthony Davis is back and you can say, okay, we've made it through the quote-unquote grind portion of the season. Now we're just trying to figure out our playoff identity, get our rotation set, 
at that point, you have gotten the bulk of the value that you are going to get out of Harrell. I think it makes sense to trade him. I think the answer to this next question is going to be no, but he's not under contract for next year, and he just bought a house in Los Angeles, which in the Plinka era is not a great omen. Is there <laughs> any chance that they would trade Dennis Schroeder? Uh, okay, so I'm going to not, not put my tinfoil hat on. Here's the thing. I think the only scenario in which the Lakers trade Dennis Schroeder is if some nine days ago they they were able to reopen negotiations with him on uh, his contract extension and you wrote a really good story for CBS explaining you know the dif- the difference in numbers that it would be if he signed uh, you know back in God when was it October I want to say or no before the, the season, season or been... early in the season I think December was yeah. when I wrote that. Now, what's interesting is when I wrote that story, I thought he deserves the numbers that he would have been eligible for in February. Now we get to February and I'm thinking, maybe the Lakers want to pay him something closer to what he was eligible for in December. Right. And I I think they ultimately will. I think it was more about the years that he was getting than it was the actual number. Because if I'm not mistaken, two years is the max they could have offered him. Yes. Um, so... For them to throw like a four-year deal at him, I I do not think he'd flinch at like, hmm, let me think. Let's say like four years, sixty million. I think would be good value for Dennis Schroeder. I don't know if he takes that, but I mean, given the uncertain future of the league's financial health and you know the the cap spike, whether or not that's actually going to happen after all. Uh, I, I think, you know, maybe he takes it. But if he doesn't, if the Lakers and Schroeder are too far away on a number when it comes to a contract extension close to the trade deadline, I think the Lakers, again, same situation with Montrezl Harrell. If you're not confident you can bring these guys back, knowing how what, what a financial crunch you're going to be in next season, you absolutely need to trade somebody who you're going to have their bird rights, or they're going to be a restricted free agent. Just somebody you know is going to be around long term. For me, personally, if they did trade Dennis Schroeder, I don't know if the Pelicans would do this. Um, I think they would have done it in the beginning of the season. But uh, if Lonzo Ball's available... And I so wanted to bring this up, but I thought it was too ridiculous. No, no. If you, I mean, this goes against everything about the Lakers' need for, like, on-ball shot creation. But Lonzo Ball would be, like, the the question about the closing lineup. Lonzo Ball's in that closing lineup. People don't like to talk about this because he's not known as a good shooter. He and LeBron, at least from my perspective watching, really seem to like playing together. He has sort of that hive mind thing that he now has with Gasol and he had with Rondo where, like, oh, you're a basketball genius. Let's just torture these mortals with our enormous IQs. If he were to keep shooting the way that he does, he is now, like, my God, lock it up. The Lakers would win the championship. I don't think that the Pelicans would want to make that trade because Schroeder, isn't Schroeder like what the fully realized version of Kyra Lewis probably is? Something to that effect, the super fast, smaller guard. I, I I don't think it might, it definitely would have been feasible, I don't know, six weeks ago. 
But at that point, the Lakers probably wouldn't have been interested given Lonzo shooting. Correct. I don't think there's any chance it happens, but I would be so into it. I enjoyed the hell out of covering Lonzo. Here is my Dennis Schroeder trade. I did not realize this guy was this good until I started really looking into some of the more team-dependent numbers and realized, oh, he's just been trapped on a god-awful team for the past, I don't know, I don't even know how long he's been there now. Evan Fournier. Here are Evan Fournier's wide-open three-point percentages over the past four seasons. 48.6, 45 45.9, 41.3, 44.9. The Lakers do not have a single shooter that is in that stratosphere. So now what you're probably thinking is, okay, if Evan Fournier is that good of a shooter, like why don't people talk about him that way? And the answer is, He's playing in Orlando, and he has no shot creators. He's not getting any of these wide-open shots. He's right. making the one per game or the two per game that he's getting. Can you imagine how many wide-open shots you're getting if you're going from Orlando to LeBron? Like, my goodness, that's like winning the lottery. Yeah, and it's it really comes down to the type of shooter he is, too. Because you think about the type of shooters the Lakers have right now. There aren't too many of them that excel, like, shooting off of curls out of the pick and roll like on the move uh like three pointers this was a point of emphasis frank vogel tried to make with kyle kuzma at the beginning of the season and then i think it's worked out for the most part i know his numbers have been down lately but uh he's certainly willing which is half of the battle i mean alex cruz was a perfect example of this i think he's been a little reluctant with his shot this year and you know Casey he's not the only laker yeah there are plenty of them that are pretty reluctant thankfully at least mark has kind of started to shoot over the last couple of games right and i think it's funny when you thought about the lakers signing marcus all or at least you know this was how i viewed it is you're gonna have marcus all camp outside the arc and have anthony davis just dominate in the paint whether that's as a scorer or, or as a playmaker out of the post. And then the season starts and Anthony Davis is like, wait, hold on. I like shooting too. And uh, so, yeah, that that just hasn't happened in, in the games they played together. But, you know, like you said, in spite of that, that five-man unit has still destroyed worlds together. My theory coming into the year, and I think we're going to see more of this in the playoffs, was by signing Marcus Gasol and making him your starter at center, the Lakers never really ran the LeBron AD pick and roll early in games last year. I mean, they did early in the season before they realized, oh, this is useless. JaVale is just clogging up the paint. My thought coming into the year was, oh, now they can run their best play all game, which I know is a novel concept. They can run it successfully with proper spacing. They haven't really done it. And I think that's mostly an AD thing where he doesn't want to just catch lobs in the first quarter. Like, I think that's something he'll be more okay doing more of. And the Lakers, they did this a lot in the playoffs last year, right? Or they would find that one little, and this is LeBron staple. He's been doing it forever. You find that one little hole in the defense and you just continue to attack and attack and attack it. I think when we get to the playoffs, we're going to see more of in the first quarter. We're not going to mess around. First play, we win the opening tip. LeBron AD pick and roll. Gasol behind the arc. Prove that you can stop it before we try something else. Right. And what's interesting about Gasol's insertion to the starting lineup is 
especially in those beginning of the game situations. If you can recall back to last season, one of the first plays the Lakers ran as soon as the ball was tipped was that lob for JaVale McGee. And by the way, that goes back to the first LeBron year too. Mm -hmm. Lonzo would throw it sometimes and LeBron would catch it. So like the first year, especially they had so many different combinations they could run that play with. They do not have that right now. Yeah. uh, This might come as a surprise to people, but Marcus all isn't getting up for that. It's not like there was a quote. I think uh, Lonzo ball and Zion Williamson had uh, last season where Lonzo was like, I don't know. I just throw it towards the backboard, and I trust Zion Williamson's going to grab it. That's not happening with LeBron James and Marcus Hall. I hate. I hate to inform people of that. They do have their other virtues. I mean, it is very much a trade-off. Where the traditional LeBron big man is the lob. You know, you think Tristan Thompson. You think Javale. Mm-hmm. The fun he is having, like two or three possessions per game on those backdoor cuts. Like, I think LeBron is now racking up like an accumulation of teammates over his career where it seems like he's now gotten to play with every single kind of player. And Gasol was kind of the last piece. Like (laughs) Kevin Love is a very good player, but or a very good passer rather, but he's more of an outlet passer and a post passer. Kevin Love is not really the kind of passer that's like standing out behind the arc, scanning the floor and just waiting for you to make the perfect cut. That's Gasol and LeBron is loving it. Like, LeBron is having a great season in a lot of regards. One of the things that has really stood out to me is, my God, has he looked good moving off the ball. And he's always been able to do that, and it's always been more a matter of teammates. Rondo was the one that brought it out of him last year. This year, it's Gasol. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I, it's not just LeBron he's helped. Um, I, I We haven't seen it as much. Kuzma is like his Padawan. Right. It's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, I, uh, we haven't seen it as much with Anthony Davis out uh, because I think, you know, Mark's just had to play a lot more minutes with that, that first unit. But yeah, I think Kyle, you, you look at the reasons Kyle Kuzma is having the season he has, it's, it's not just an effort thing. It's the type of players he's playing in the front court with. And yeah, Marcus all perfect Kyle Kuzma center, uh, which is a weird sentence to say like a Kyle Kuzma center. That's an archetype now. <laughs> Uh, I want to, I, I know this is going to sound kind of blasphemous to Lakers people. I just want to throw it out there as something I think could help in the short term. I know Lakers fans think that he is, you know, the next in the line of great Lakers, that he's going to be the next Magic McPhobie. I just want to throw out a Talon Horton Tucker trade. Okay. This guy is, he's struggling. He had a great season last year, but... He's kind of been pushed out in Charlotte because LaMelo Ball is one of the best point guard prospects ever, and Terry Rozier is shooting a billion percent. What about Talon Horton Tucker for Devontae Grant? Yeah, you do that trade a million times out of ten. I don't care what anybody says. I think it works says. for both sides, right? Like, THT in his fully realized adult form is going to be able to defend threes. I don't think making him your long-term pairing with LaMelo and Rozier... I don't think that's going to be a major issue defensively. And then for the Lakers, you get a guy who last year shot 38% on, what was it, nine threes a game, something like that. I think the Lakers could really use that, even though this year he's obviously taken a step back. Yeah, I. so my thing is, I don't know that the Hornets do that trade. Um, I think you're probably right. Because, yeah, I, I, 
I don't think he shot the ball well at the beginning of the season, but I think right before he got injured, he was starting to find his groove again. So uh, Terry Rozier, not to get too off track when it comes to the Lakers, but Terry Rozier is a guy I'm curious about on the Hornets. Um, that, that contract is obviously a great value, and the Hornets are making a playoff push, but if you're the Hornets... Do you value Terry Rozier in his current form, or do you value him as an asset because you're not sure if he can keep this up? I think a smart team would be willing to look at him and say, like, he is at the absolute Mount Everest pinnacle of his value. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Hornets really think that way. Like, the Hornets aren't never really struck me as a team that is thinking about the long game. Like, I think they're just sort of thinking, yeah, he's playing really well this year. He's fitting really well with LaMelo. Before the season, when I was doing my Lakers offseason targets for last year, he was one of the guys that I listed as, like, when we were talking about the Danny Green plus salary filler plus 2020 first-round pick package, Mm -hmm. I think most of us were shooting a lot higher than Terry Rozier. And I want to get to one of the guys that maybe we, I don't want to say we're shooting for, but a name that came up a lot. I don't think people would have been happy if Terry Rozier would have been the addition. If Terry Rozier was on this team shooting this way, like all of the Lakers' offensive issues would be solved. Now, we saw this in Boston. He was not happy with Kyrie and Tatum and Brown being, I don't know, the fourth, fifth fiddle. So maybe it wouldn't have worked out this way. I do think if I were the Hornets, I don't view this as super sustainable. I would probably look to trade it. But speaking of guys that were maybe on the radar last offseason, I don't know how feasible this ever was. I think it was more a creation of, oh, we know that they're friends. We know that he wants to win a championship. And we didn't think that there was that much of a market. Do you think that there's any part of the Lakers right now that regret not taking a, I don't know, a bigger swing at Chris Paul? Like, is there any part of you that thinks maybe they regret not offering Danny, JaVale, Kuzma, whatever the salary filler would have been, probably Quinn Cook was in there. Do you think they regret that, or do you think they're okay with it? Well, I mean, given the, I guess, financial constraints that they'd be facing with filling out the rest of the roster, there's no guarantee that guys are going to sign for the veterans minimum to play, you know, for your team, even though you're the Lakers and you're the reigning champions. So, in that respect, I, I think Dennis Schroeder is a fine consolation prize, if you want to call him that. Chris Paul is obviously playing some of the best, mm, I don't know, maybe not some of the best basketball of his career, but he is certainly a, a perfect fit on this Suns team. I think him and, and Monty Williams are exactly what the Suns needed to get over the hump, and it's so cool to see what they've been able to do Um but if you're asking if the Lakers would have liked to have Chris Paul in the team, I, yeah, the answer is yes. Well, I'm thinking about the fringe additions, and there are a couple of changes that I think the rest of the roster probably would have looked okay. Here are my thoughts. First of all, if you make the Chris Paul trade, you don't have to use the full mid-level. You can use the taxpayer and not put yourself in a position where you're hard capped. So. You don't get Harrell and you don't get Matthews in that situation. But mm-hmm. if, West, if West Matthews was willing to come for $3.6 million or whatever the biannual exception is, I would bet that he would have been willing to come for $2.6 million for the minimum. Marcus Gasol obviously came. 
Dwight Howard was willing to come back for the minimum. Obviously, he didn't for other reasons. Losing Kuzma would have really hurt because, I mean, I became a pretty big Kuzma optimist during the playoffs last year. I had no inkling that he was going to be this. Like, I never thought, I thought if he were going to break out and be this valuable, it would be as a 22-23 point scorer. The all-around player that he's become, I think that they might regret not having that for the next era when LeBron is done and it's the Anthony Davis version. Kuzma might end up being the second most important part of that team. But if you had a starting lineup of, let's say, Chris Paul, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Marcus All, my goodness, just wrap it up. Can you imagine the collective basketball IQ of that team? (laughs) I, I just... It's fun to think about. I don't think that it was ever close in any way. And my inkling, and I don't know this for certain, I don't even know if this was reported anywhere, I don't think that Chris really wanted it. I don't think the idea of latching onto a team that had already won a championship really, you know, appealed to him that much. But it's fun to think about. Yeah, I that that would have been awesome. And the the one that I find myself thinking about and I, I don't know how you feel about him. I also don't know that uh, the Bulls were ever, ever seriously interested in trading him. But um, I think a lot of teams missed the boat. Yeah, I think uh, trading for Zach Levine is probably the one where I'm like, huh, I wonder <laughs> if the L.A. Lakers, guy yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, could have I, I, souped There was up. a moment, I think, where a lot of teams probably could have done it and didn't, especially before Karnisavis came in. And you were dealing with, you know, I, I've a, if you were, deal, you were dealing with that front office that clearly didn't really have a plan, I think there was a moment, and a lot of teams missed it, and a lot of teams regret it. And I feel the same way, not for the Lakers, just in general about Miles Turner. There was clearly a moment where the Pacers just wanted to cash him in for something else, and now all of a sudden he's like a defensive player of the year candidate. I think a lot of teams regret not trading for him as well, but... Yeah, you're right. I think Zach Levine is the one that they're going to look back on and really regret not. I don't even know if they could have gotten him, to be clear, because yeah. the Lakers weren't exactly loaded with assets, and nobody knew Talon Horton Tucker was going to be as good as he's become. I mean, just as a prospect, right? Like, going into last offseason, he was just the number 45 overall pick. Now teams can look at him and say, like, he might really be something. So I don't know if they could have done it, but the Lakers are not the only team that probably regrets not making a harder push. It's certainly not as bad as uh, not trading for James Harden because you didn't want to part with like Tyler Hero or something. That's another one of my mentions went up in Flames tweets. I stand by that completely. What I said was not, I said that I would trade Tyler Hero for James Harden, but I would hate myself for it, which you should hate yourself for trading a 20-year-old potential potential future all-star, but people took that to mean I was saying I wouldn't (laughs) want to trade Hero for Harden. To be clear, I was always willing to trade Hero for Harden. <laughs> I was willing to trade basically anybody. I think the few guys that I wouldn't have traded for Harden, I didn't think it made sense for Denver. So I didn't think it made sense to do Murray or Porter. And then, I don't. I, the Toronto thing I went back and forth on, I think with Pascal having the start that he had, I turned on that pretty quickly. But I struggled with Pascal early on, just given how good he became last year, how he was an MVP candidate. But... Most teams should have traded for James Harden. And clearly, the fact that Brooklyn got him with their sorry-ass package proves that a lot of teams talk themselves out of it for those dumb reasons. But I digress. We've been talking about the fantasy pro- pro- um, the fantasy editions. But 
I want to talk about some slightly more realistic ones. This is one that you pointed out on Twitter. Wayne Ellington. This is the easiest trade you could make. Do it. Alfonso McKinney is the matching salary. Throw in a couple second round picks. That's a home run no matter what else you do. Any comments on that or is that just straight up the easiest trade that you should make? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, well, first of all, I don't know how many guys that can shoot the way Wayne Ellington can are just like readily available. Um, I am for the ma- minimum. Yeah. I, I don't know. I imagine Wayne Ellington would like to get out of Detroit, but he also signed there in the first place, so I don't know. Not only uh, that, he signed there as a buyout addition in the middle of the season. I mm-hmm. think it was 2019. It was that weird buyout season where nobody went to contenders, right? Well, like, Wes Matthews gets bought out. And I think that was the the first LeBron year where the Lakers, like, could have sorely used Wes Matthews for their playoff push in the middle of the year. And then he signs with Indiana, and you're just like, wait, what? Yeah, I- <laughs> Maybe he was doing it to increase his market value, but then he signed. <laughs> it was I, I, that was the weirdest buyout market I ever remember. But anyway, go on. I yeah, I think uh, a lot of the reasons um, players didn't sign with the Lakers is you know as LeBron James put it, they were a dumpster fire. Um, so Carmelo wouldn't yeah. come at that point, and Carmelo couldn't get a job anywhere else. <laughs> uh, so that that's a that's an interesting one. I I honestly beyond that. I, it would be, I guess, interesting if the Lakers could manage to get an upgrade over Wesley Matthews. I just don't know how feasible that is. Like, his contract is tradable, but not that tradable. And then if you wanted to package him with, like, somebody like Markeith Morris or Alfonso McKinney, in Markeith's case... Uh, you'd you'd have to get his permission to to trade him. So I don't know. That's an interesting one, but I I do think you know maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the the value for Wayne Ellington exceeds a second round pick or two. I think it would be nuts if it did. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, I think Alfonso McKinney and a pair of second round picks is is all it's going to take. The Lakers do have one tradable first round pick. It's in 2027. And I think teams that were t- that would talk trade with them would be pretty interested in that pick because in 2027, LeBron's gone and Anthony Davis is, I don't know, 33 at that point, 34. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Lakers are super eager to trade that pick, but it's something they have in their back pocket for the right offer. I don't think Wayne Ellington is the right offer. So <laughs> on this more realistic tangent that we're on, I want to turn towards the buyout market and just ask, do you think there is anybody that could conceivably get bought out that would actually play for the Lakers in the playoffs? Last year, I thought the answer was no, and I was proven wrong with Marquise Morris. I'm looking at the guys that are being linked to them. Like, look, I get that it would be kind of fun to sign Boogie, and if you were going to trade Montrezl Harrell, Boogie could fill in those regular season all-offense center minutes, but Boogie's not playing in the playoffs. Hassan Whiteside's not playing in the playoffs. Is there anybody out there that you think could actually play for them in a meaningful playoff series? In the buyout market? Uh, no. Um, I, agree. I think the best version of Trevor Ariza, one that isn't completely washed and doesn't care about basketball, I think that is a guy that probably gets meaningful minutes for the Lakers in the postseason. Beyond that, I don't think Blake gets minutes on this team when Anthony Davis comes back uh, because oh, 
God, what am I going to say? I, I wouldn't mind Blake as a minimum flyer like next offseason when Harrell leaves and they don't have any other avenue to find bench offense. Like, I wouldn't mind a minimum flyer at that point. I'm not bringing him in in the middle of the season and saying, play 15 minutes as we try to win a championship. Yeah, and so the thing I was going to say, I don't want to be hyperbolic, and I don't want to be a victim of recency bias, but I, I just think right now, if Kyle Kuzma is not a better player than Blake Griffin right now, he is certainly a more valuable player to the oh, Lakers. Oh, a hundred percent. He's a significantly better player than Blake Griffin right and, now. And that's not but, insulting to Blake Griffin. That's just <laughs> that's what happens when you break every bone in your leg over the course <laughs> of your career. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I know that there's still a large segment of basketball fandom that wants to believe that Kyle Kuzma is just a trucker. That's not the case. Like, Kyle Kuzma is one of the better role players in basketball right now. He's doing everything well, and Blake Griffin can't move. He can't jump. Like, you think Marcus All is ground down? Yeah. Watch Blake Griffin right now. For sure. And so, yeah, save for, you know, the best version of Trevor Ariza or, like, I don't know, Andre Drummond wanting to come play at, as the, you know, whatever 18 minutes per game Mar- or JaVale McGee average in the postseason last season. I don't even know if it was that, honestly. Um, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know that anybody that they sign in the buyout market is going to play meaningful minutes, maybe in the regular season, not in the postseason. To his credit, Trevor Ariza was very bad for the Kings last year. I thought he looked pretty decent for the Blazers after that trade, but now he's another year older and he hasn't been playing. So I'm inclined to agree with you. I, I, I think that there is sort of a fantasy about the buyout market sometimes where every contender before the buyout market starts thinks there are going to be five really good players and we're going to get two of them. And then we actually get to the buyout market and like the Tristan Thompson never gets bought out. The George Hill never gets bought out. It's the guys that, like, there was a reason Markeith Morris was available. Markeith Morris did not move in Detroit last year. Like, that's why they let him go. Reggie Jackson was terrible in Detroit last year. That's why they let him go. You are fundamentally taking chances in a way that I don't think the Lakers would do. The Lakers have 11 players right now that all want and have an argument for deserving minutes. I don't think that there's a 12th that could really break that group. That covers all of the basketball stuff that I wanted to talk about, but... We're recording this now two hours and 20 minutes before the premiere of episode eight of WandaVision, and you have takes. So I'm just going to give you the floor. Give me your WandaVision theory, anything you want to say about WandaVision. The floor is yours. So I I won't say who I think the big bad villain is, because if I am right, and I'm pretty sure I am, I don't want to ruin the show for new fans or, you know, people that aren't on the same track as me. What I will say the theory I'm less confident about, and this is purely fueled off of like way too many, mm, maybe not comic books I've read, but comic book characters I'm aware of. I think this series will probably end, and I'm talking the very last scene of this series, I think is going to be Wanda losing her mind. And hexing the world. And the reason that's significant to me, or the reason I think it's significant, is we've already seen the genetic mutations and and the effects that they can have on people 
obviously Monica Rambeau being chief among them. For people to have these genetic mutations across the globe, you're essentially implanting the X gene in, you know, kids or adults, whatever you want to call them, across the world. Not It might not affect everybody the same way, but I think ultimately this ends in Wanda creating mutants by way of just basically, you know... <laughs> but exposing the whole world to radiation. I love this theory. And I think it's kind of a fun play on Wanda's comics history because her most famous, famous comics moment is three words. It's no more mutants. Mm -hmm. If in the movies or in the MCU, she's the one creating the mutants. Like that's a fascinating. It's a very interesting turn on what the comics established. But B, it also kind of sets you up to do House of M down the line, where Wanda is thinking, I created all of you, I can take your powers away. Like, I think that would be a fascinating dynamic. I do have a basketball WandaVision crossover for you. (laughs) Who is singing Agatha all along in the NBA? What is the crossover there? Oh, my. Um, Nick Young, Who's getting the villain song? (laughs) Yeah. I think you might be Nick Young or J.R. Smith? I had a warrior in mind. My thought was like Draymond doing it. And then the, and I killed Sparky two moment. That would be the warrior signing boogie in 2019. Just that moment, just that pushes us all over the edge and makes us hate you even more. And I signed boogie too. Yeah. Draymond would be, I, I, I know we all love game of zones on bleacher report. I maintain that the best things that those guys, the best thing that those guys ever did was the super team song. And Draymond is the best part of that. Right. Yeah, I uh, that's a good one. I think JR is is a good one. Um but other than that the twenty eighteen finals, JR. Ooh, Surprise. you know Jaleel Okafor. Uh I saw an interesting sat the other day that whichever team Jaleel Okafor leaves in the offseason ends up getting the number one pick. Like the next year. Wait, I, I kind of need to look into this now. Wait, the Sixers got it. It was Ben Simmons. Uh, he went to who was he at? Was he on the Nets after that? But then that be, the Nets pick became the Markel Fultz pick. Yeah, that would have been one pick. The Pelicans got it with Zion. Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's something. really interesting. I need to look into that's fascinating. But... <laughs> okay, you've talked me into this as. <laughs> Jaleel Okafor is Agatha <laughs> I will say I would love more villain songs in the MCU. I hope we get a Loki one at some point. I feel like it's long overdue. I just, I am, when I watch that song, it just makes me think over and over again how perfectly Kevin Feige understands his fan base. Oh. Because when I hear And I Killed Sparky 2, like, that is the perfect Twitter moment. That is the perfect, like, Oh, we were totally on board. Oh, you killed the dog. You're dead to me now. Yeah, I it's I'm I'm very excited. I how funny would it be and also off-putting for a lot of people if episode 8 was the musical episode. <laughs> I would love that so much. I think it would I, alienate so much would, of the fan base though. It, well, it would be like how South Park their first season the last episode is the cart who's going to be Cartman's father. And right. then they do the whole Terrence and Bill episode. 
I just, I, the MCU would never do that. Disney does not have the stones to do that. It would just, <laughs> it would make too many people too mad. I think that would honestly be the single funniest thing that Disney had has ever done. Like the funniest thing that any, that has come out of any Disney property. I think that would be hilarious. I think it, yeah, it would. And I'm not talking like, I'm talking like Disney plus Hamilton style musical, not even on a TV set, on a stage. Like, like. I am so into this. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of who I want to see sing in the MCU. Doctor Strange is an obvious candidate. Like, I just feel like you could have so much fun with grumpy Doctor Strange singing. The Hulk would have a big power ballad. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so into this. I want this so badly right now. <laughs> you got my hopes up. Now, we're going to, in two hours, we're going to watch this episode, and it's not going to be a musical, and I'm not going to be You're able just, to enjoy it yeah. because of you. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case, too. I could not be more excited for this. I drove across, not across the country, I drove from Vegas to California today. I am beat, but I will be staying up for WandaVision because I am not risking waking up in the morning and seeing spoilers. So we have another two hours to go. By the time you all listen to this, I sincerely hope you'll have seen WandaVision. I will mention in the description that we we do talk about it. So I guess we didn't spoil episode eight, but... We do talk about it in case people haven't started the show. Christian, this was an absolute delight. You are welcome back on this show anytime. And you did a fairly good job of making me feel better about this Lakers <laughs> offense. Because I was at like, on a scale from 1 to 10, I was at like a 94. And I think now I'm down to like a 21. I like that. I think that's the best I could have reasonably hoped for. But yeah. that'll do it. <laughs> That'll do us for do us yeah, do it for us here today. Christian, you write for Silver Screen and Roll. Anything else you want to plug? Uh no. Just uh keep an eye out for my buyout targets piece tomorrow. I worked on that today. It'll be published tomorrow. Uh other than that, I'm I too, like the Lakers, am looking forward to the All Star break and getting some uh rest in here soon. Yeah, nobody wants to talk about how little rest the media gets. Bye. <laughs> I know that we're like, we're the 900th biggest concern here, but like the season ends in October. I'm writing off season previews for three weeks, then the draft, then free agency. And I think I got like a week off before basketball started again. I am exhausted. I need the all-star break. We all need the all-star break, (laughs) but I promise this is the last, this will do it. We're, We're up to like four. That'll do it for us today. Christian, absolute pleasure. Please come back on this show. Uh, and otherwise, we'll be back with Colin either, I, I'm going to say next week, not later in the week because it's Thursday. But that'll do it for us today. Like, subscribe, share with your friends. As always, steal their phones, subscribe for them, etc., etc. We will see you next week. <laughs>